John chapter 5, we're going to finish it. Lord willing, we're going to finish John chapter 5 today. All right, John 5, 41. We're still in that conversation. We're going to finish it today, Lord willing. That conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees where they, they came after him for healing the man on the Sabbath and telling him to get up and take up his bed and walk. And Jesus is now laying out to them who he is, the very Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's laying it all out there, mostly landing on deaf ears. Nonetheless, he continues on here in verse 41. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. The Pharisees. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you, or there is one, excuse me, who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in my words? Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Pray that you'd uh, uh, multiply our time here this morning. Help us to get through this passage. Uh, and if not, help us to get as far as you want us to this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus says, I do not receive honor from men. Now, we know that we're called as God's children to honor Him, to glorify Him, to praise Him. So what is He saying here? If you look at the New Living Translation, which I don't use very often, but in this case, it's very helpful. Your approval means nothing to me, is what He's telling them, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. I do not receive honor from men. Your approval means nothing to me. The International Standard Version says, I do not accept human praise and again it's within this context of Jesus not seeking to be liked by these men your approval means nothing to me and he, he's an example for us that we should have that same mentality that same attitude the apostles told the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts we must obey God rather than men we are not to be men pleasers and we'll get into that more as we go along here. Contrast this, what Jesus is saying here, I do not receive honor from men. Contrast that, or this, with the many preachers slash teachers or ministers who relish, revel in, and seek after the praise of men. Can you think of some like that? It's very obvious that they want to be praised, they want to be acknowledged, recognized, revered. That's a dead giveaway of someone you should not listen to, someone you should not follow. Matthew 6, 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Oh, Jesus elsewhere mentioned how that they would go around looking all bedraggled and down, like if they were fasting, they wanted everybody to know they were fasting so they wouldn't comb their hair and they just looked all dragged out. Jesus says, don't do that. You know, make yourself look presentable when you go out so that nobody will know the difference. 
Because you're not fasting for men, you're fasting for God. John 12, 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they, and this, here's why. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. How many people have compromised their faith because they're more worried about what other people think of them and say about them than they do about pleasing God? You can't have it both ways. I remember many years ago, I don't know who said it, but uh, it's always stuck with me. There are no closet Christians. You know, remember how they used to talk about coming out of the closet with the gay community and all that? There are no closet Christians. If you're in the closet, then maybe you're not a Christian. If you're afraid for people to know it, if you're more worried about what people think. Luke 16, 15, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, again, speaking to the Pharisees, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, he says, As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men. But God who tests our hearts. Not as pleasing men. And yet, what do people most, most people expect when they come into a church? They expect to be pleased. And many times, they're not pleased by me. But what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to compromise? Am I supposed to back down so I can have more people? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You see, what? it's actually biblical to please God and not men. And if you're also someone who wants to please God, you won't be offended. Okay? All right. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Most people don't want their hearts to be tested. And when you hear the truth, guess what? It tests your heart. And if you get heart palpitations, I got the thrombosis. Is that what it is? <laughs> Red foxes? For neither at any time did we use flattering words. Paul, what's wrong with you, man? You're totally out of it. You're out of touch. You're not seeker-friendly, Paul. What's the matter with you? Neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness or, you know, making money, gain. Paul talks elsewhere about those who see, uh, you know, spirituality as a means to financial gain. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Even when we had the right to uh, use our position, we didn't do it. So what is Jesus telling the Pharisees here? He's telling them he isn't having this discussion to try and impress them or prove himself to them. He is doing it for what he said in verse 34. Back in verse 34, I believe last week we saw this. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. Remember he talks about he has a greater testimony from God the Father. I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things. This is what he's saying to the Pharisees. 
nasty group of people, hated Jesus, ultimately were involved in making sure he was crucified. But what does he say? I say these things that you may be saved. Even to those who hated him and sought his destruction, his goal, his purpose, his desire was that they might be saved. John 5.39, also from last week, I believe, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The scriptures testify of me, Jesus says, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Verse 42, he says, I know you. By the way, Jesus knows every one of us better than we know ourselves. Don't forget that. You can't hide anything from God. He knows you inside and out. No use trying to fake it until you make it. No use trying to play games. God knows you inside and out. I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. What Jesus is saying is that they, the Pharisees, do not have a love for God. That's what it means here. That you do not have the love of God in you. It is not within you to love God. You do not love God. Basically, he's telling them. And folks, those who are consumed with the desire, the need for human recognition, praise, glory, and honor will not and do not have the capacity to love God the Father nor His Son, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Verse 43, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. God sent his Son into this world to represent him and to bridge the gap between God and man. Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why he came, to be a mediator, to bridge the gap. Have you ever seen that? Um, it's, a real, it's a famous drawing, and there's this big chasm, you know, land on either side and a big canyon in between, and there's people falling over the cliff, but there's also a big cross going across that chasm. Have you ever seen that picture? And, and those who are on that cross are going across and bridging that gap. Others are falling into the pit. Jesus is the one mediator between men and God. I've come in my Father's name. Adam Clark, great commentator, says, Among the rabbis, it was essential to a teacher's credit that he should be able to support his doctrine by the authority of some eminent persons who had gone before. Hence the form, coming in the name of another. So this was familiar to the Pharisees. This was a, <coughs> a Jewish way of, of presenting oneself. My credentials. I've come in the name of my Father, and you do not receive me. In spite of the fact that there's no greater authority or higher recommendation than that of God the Father. Adam Clark also says this, Those who will not believe the truth of God shall be so given up as to believe the most absurd of lies. We just saw some of those lies today. Those who will not believe the truth of God shall be given, so given up as to believe the most absurd of lies. Like a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Right? That Heather can have two mommies or Bobby can have two daddies. <laughs> so much deception. 
And Jesus said there would be because people would refuse the love of the truth. He would give them over to deception. That's exactly where we are now, folks. There's no other explanation for the level of insanity that we see all around us. King Saul, all he did was disobey God. Saul did not denounce God. He simply disobeyed him, and that was enough to send him into insanity. Vexed by an evil spirit from the Lord. Hello? If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. There's an old expression, birds of a feather flock together. Those who love the fame, the glory, the riches. I'm, one preacher used to say, three things to watch out for. The girls, the gold, and the glory. And those are the main things we see preachers, pastors, teachers get in trouble for, isn't it? The girls, the gold, and the glory. Birds of a feather flock together. Those who love these things are inclined to receive, embrace, and hang out with others of the same ilk. I've heard numerous stories of high-profile, quote, pastors who totally ignore those that they view as insignificant. They like to hang out with people who are of their same stature and their same status. Megachurch pastors like to hang out with megachurch pastors. I've experienced it personally myself. If you don't have a big church, if you don't have a brand name out there, then they don't have the time of day for you. Now, ultimately, it's between them and God to judge what's going on there, but I'm telling you, birds of a feather flock together. I've seen it firsthand. I hate to say it. But it's true. And so it was with the Pharisees. Somebody who came in their own name, somebody who came like them, somebody that they viewed as one of their own, they embraced them. But Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't all about the girls and the gold and the glory. He was about the glory of God the Father. And they couldn't handle it. John 5, 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God. They received honor from one another, patting each other on the back, right? Like I said, birds of a feather. When someone is self-absorbed and only concerned with what others think of them, it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to come into a possession of a true saving faith in God and His Son. That could be the explanation for why we see so many of these so-called uh, televangelist preachers uh, that achieve a great level of notoriety and fame and so forth, and then they fall into some kind of horrible sin. Obviously, anybody's capable of that. We're all fallen. We're all sinners saved by grace. But the question would be, how many of them are really truly saved? How many of them are truly born again? Or are they in it for the girls, the gold, and the glory? Adam Clark, once again, I like this guy. A man cannot believe the gospel while he is wholly under the influence of ambition. And that's probably been the number one thing that I've seen through the years in ministry that has created problems in the church, 
problems amongst leadership is when people who come in with a personal ambition to be somebody, to have a position, to have recognition. And you know what? We have a church full of humble servants who are not ambitious in the least. And they're wonderful. They're awesome. Do you realize what great people we have here serving this church? Pastor Ed is not ambitious. Pastor Dave is not ambitious. Pastor Ted is not ambitious. None of our leaders are ambitious. They're here to serve God, period. And you know, as much as we might, people might come in and say, wow, this is a bunch of old people, man. I don't want to go here. <laughs> There's something about getting older that beats the ambition out of you. And that's not a bad thing. The number one stumbling block for young people is... Pride, ambition, right? The number one stumbling block for old people is apathy, lethargy, complacency. But you see older people here still faithfully serving God, grinding it out, cranking it out, and that's really what it's all about. It's not about the girls, the gold, and the glory, okay? Let me read that again. A man cannot believe the gospel while he is wholly under the influence of ambition. The two are not compatible. The religion of the gospel is humility, and a man who has that has not that humility. A man who has not that cannot be a Christian. Listen to that. Interesting. Have you ever thought about that? We see an awful lot of pride going around in the church. I don't mean our church, but just the church in general. Wow, Adam Clark says you can't be a Christian unless you're humble. You can't. Why do so many people... Resist God, reject God, pull away from Christ, because in order to come to him, you have to be humbled. You're not in charge anymore. You're not in control anymore. You're not the master and commander of your own ship. No, you have to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, and pride and ambition will keep you from doing that. Matthew 6, 24. The religious leaders of Jesus' day used God and his holy scriptures for personal gain and to control and manipulate people. Jesus chastised them for it, for putting a burden upon the people that they themselves couldn't even bear. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship. And they were, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes were among the more economically advantaged of their society. But it goes beyond that. Wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. It was taken by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. Mammon was more than just a concept. It was considered a demonic entity. And Jesus even told the Pharisees, you are sons of the devil. The religious leaders in Israel, Jesus called them sons of the devil. James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, and when he says it, he's talking about spiritually. Unfaithfulness to God makes you an adulterer or an adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
And that's a challenge for each and every one of us because the things of this world are very enticing, are they not? That's why we need to be reading these scriptures on a regular basis to remind us, to challenge us. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they were really more friends of the world than they were friends of God. Which tells you, you can put on an outward cloak of religiosity. But Jesus even said, you know, on the outside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. They would go along and whitewash the tombs to make them look nice, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Their religiosity painted an outward picture of loveliness, but inside they were dead. And then he goes on to tell these guys, how can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? This speaks of that eternal reward that comes from those who diligently pursue God rather than the glories and pleasures of this life. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14. Paul writes, For no other foundation, we know without a foundation, everything's lost, right? It just crumbles, like the, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. So Paul says, No other foundation can be anyone lay than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now, if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, we see a difference here, don't we, in the quality of the materials. And he's likening that to the various efforts of believers in this life. Some of the things that believers do are golden, silver, precious, stones, wood, hay, straw, not so great. That old Sunday school song, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Anybody remember that? Each one's work will become clear for the day, the big D, the big day of the Lord will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Gold doesn't burn. If it's hot enough, it will melt, but it's still gold. Silver, same thing. Precious stones, they don't burn. Wood, hay, and straw burn, don't they? So that means some of the things we do in this life, they may appear to be good on the surface, but they probably won't be worthy of eternal reward it'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work which he has built on it endures makes it through the fire he will receive a reward it's not about salvation paul goes on to say even if your works don't make it you will but it'll be kind of like you're escaping through the flames one of your buddies in heaven might say uh, what's that dark spot on the back of your robe there I, do you smell a campfire? <laughs> Matthew twenty-five twenty. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, and this is what Jesus is talking about here, seeking the honor that comes only from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things in this life. I will make you ruler over many things in the next life. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that what we all look forward to, long for, want to hear those words from our Lord and Savior? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You guys seek the praise of men. You seek the immediate gratification, the instant benefits. But you don't seek the honor that comes only from God. 
Verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. They had accused Jesus. But he says, I'm not going to accuse you. But you are accused by Moses himself. John 3.17, we all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Very next verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. The first time. He's coming back to judge the world. The first time he came, but that the world through him might be saved. Even the Pharisees. If they would repent, if they would turn to him. But he says, there is one who accuses you, you, Moses, in whom you trust. Moses was their ultimate hero and authority. In fact, he was their first Messiah. He was the one that delivered them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, led them across the desert, parted the waters through the Red Sea, the whole enchilada. To them, Moses was the epitome, the, the, the pinnacle of their faith, their number one guy. And Jesus says, Moses is the one who accuses you. Why would he say this? Because verse 46, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which that was the only five books that the Sadducees recognized. The Pharisees recognized the entire Old Testament. But even the Sadducees would be taken in by this because they believed in the writings of Moses. Moses, in the Pentateuch, there are numerous prophecies concerning Jesus. The first one that we see in Genesis 3.15, when God is handing out punishment to Adam and Eve and the serpent for their role in the fall of humanity. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I will make you enemies. The serpent, who is Satan, the accuser of the brethren. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is a prophecy. Notice it's the seed of the woman. There's no human male seed involved because Jesus was the product of Mary's seed and God's supernatural DNA. He shall bruise your head. That indicates a fatal wound. Jesus ultimately crushing Satan, defeating him. He's still roaming around out there like a roaring lion, but his day is coming. And you shall bruise his heel. That was his death on the cross, but you can't keep a God-man down. He rose again from the dead on the third day. Genesis 49.10, as we get to the, almost to the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph, or rather um, Jacob, as he's prophesying over his sons, he says the scepter, which indicates rulership, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, Jesus is Shiloh, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. People. And this is another prophecy of the coming of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And so there are many more in the Pentateuch. Jesus says, the words of Moses condemn you because you should have known, you should have understood, you should have seen me coming. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And here's the deal, folks. 
Although they knew the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly, there was, it was a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge. Do you understand the difference? The same could be said of many today and many down through human history as well. The, ver the head knowledge versus the heart knowledge. Intellectual understanding versus spiritual understanding. And it comes as no surprise in light of this that a growing number of so-called Christian preachers and teachers claim that we do not, not need any longer to study the Old Testament. Like Andy Stanley and others. That they are irrelevant to us. The Old Testament scriptures, they say, are irrelevant to us. And that's where we get replacement theology. Two-thirds of American churches believe in replacement theology, which means God has replaced Israel with the church, the Gentile Christian church. It's not biblical. He hasn't replaced them with us. We've been grafted into them. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> Romans 11.1, 1, Paul writes, I say then that God has cast, I say then has God cast away his people? Question mark. Certainly not. Does that make it pretty clear? For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Uh, what part of that do you not get? Hello? Has God cast away his people? What does God say? No. Romans eleven twenty five 25 and 26. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The fullness of the Gentiles. We're right on the precipice right now, folks. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. We're coming to the end of the age. We're almost there when Israel will be fully restored. John 4, 22. Jesus tells the woman at the well, remember this from a few weeks ago? You worship what you do not know, you Samaritans. You have kind of a polluted, diluted form of Judaism. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, Jesus says, for salvation is of the Jews. Gee, if salvation's of the Jews, but God's gotten rid of them, then where does that leave us? We all know that Jesus is, was, and is a Jew. Salvation is of the Jews. Does that mean every Jew is saved? No. In fact, most today are not. Is every Baptist saved? Is every Methodist saved? Is every Calvary Chapelite saved? <laughs> what did you say, yes? <laughs> Strike that from the right now. <laughs> Folks, why is salvation of the Jews? Because the knowledge of God and the prophecies concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, are embedded in the Old Testament. If the Jewish leaders had possessed a heart knowledge of God's Word, they would have recognized Jesus as their Messiah and would have imparted that knowledge to their people. Instead of crucifying Him, they would have been like the people on Palm Sunday who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But they missed it because they didn't have the heart knowledge. They knew the scriptures with their minds, but not with their hearts, not in their spirits. 
We, we do not cast aside the Old Testament as irrelevant. It is the bedrock, the foundation upon which our faith rests. We talked about this without a foundation, all is lost, it crumbles. The fact that the men Jesus is here addressing missed it does not change that one bit. One more verse and we're done, and I'm only over by two minutes. Pretty amazing. Are you amazed? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, that's the Old Testament, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. We have the Old Testament message of the prophets. Now we have the fulfillment through the, those things spoken to us by his Son. And by the way, Jesus continues to speak today to all those who have ears to hear. Let's stand. <laughs>